explain to you how my how my mind grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, and when, when I was young and when I started to learn, it was a message which is it's clear to everybody that when you learn Torah, Torah is not a history book. There might be historical data within Torah, but the purpose and specifically of when you're learning things like Navi. I mean, that's why, while there are dates sometimes found, but we don't, fo- we don't focus on the dates. It's not historical phenomenon, but rather we're supposed to look at the Navi. And if this is a Navi which is written down, as we know, the Gemara says, that there were many thousands, tens of thousands of Navim. However, a Navua which was written down was a nevuah which has pertinency and importance for all eternity. So therefore, when I look and I read Navi, I read what the Pasuk says. I look at the Mephorshim. But I try to hear what is it speaking to me. That, that, that's the way I personally learn. So therefore, since we're starting with Yoshua, there was one path that I took for the way I saw it, which we'll learn. And then we'll go back and we'll look at maybe another couple of ideas. Um, I'm sitting here and I know that certain people like Mr. Lorch and other know much more in history than I do. So if I'm, a, I'm off in a certain area, you'll have Rachmanis on me because the intention is, is not 100% to be, I mean, I try to be as accurate as possible, but it's for the purpose of the, of the meaning itself. So... I was born in 1958. How are you, Ilana? You can just sit on this side. I was born in 1958. I was blessed to have Rav Palm as my Rebbe. Rav Palm was from a different generation. I was blessed to have met the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rav Moshe Feinstein, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky. When I went to Rav Yaakov to get a bracha for getting married, here I was, I was 25, and I went to him, and I'll never forget that my wife and I went to his door in Muncie, and he stood up for me. He didn't stand up for me because of who I was, he stood up for me because I was a chassan, and because I was a Jewish person learning in yeshiva, I guess. But he stood up, I remember that. I remember meeting Rav Moshe Feinstein, davening Shacharis, where he used a sitter, it would be... Like he, I have no doubt that he knew the whole davening by heart, but he would never make a tefillah. When I was the day of my marriage, I went into the Lubavitcher Rebbe because his custom was that he would give you his siddur to daven mincha from. And so I davened from his siddur. Why am I saying this? Because I was blessed as most of us, not all of us, to have seen a different tekufa a different time in Jewish history. When I learned the first Sukkim, the first Pasuk in Yoshua is Vayhi and it was. The word Vayhi is known, we know, as a, as a term which tells us that there's an element of sadness or something painful. Vayhi and it was after Moshe died. This was, in my mind, and again, I don't know if I'm accurate on this, but in my mind, this was the first new tekufa, a new time period, a new time zone. The world changed. In 1954, he said, I'd like to stand, I don't like sitting. In 1954, 
the Chazanish passed away. In 1959, both in October, by the way, in 1959, the Briska passed away. So the Chazanish died before. When the Briska heard, and by the way, if you don't know who they, these were, these were giants in Jewish thought and Jewish law. And when the Briska heard that the Chazanish passed away, he said, it's not a world without the Chazanish. It's a different world. It's not the same. It's not the same. The Jewish people were, I mean, here you have, you have a person, Yoshua, who's leading the Jewish people. The Medrash says, actually Gemara says, that Yoshua is compared to the, to the moon. And Moshe is compared to the sun, who was reflect, Moshe was the creative. Moshe Rabbeinu went up into Shemayim, and Yeshua is is his is his star student. We know that they were he was mamish crying. It says in the it says in the Medrash. I'll read it to you. It, it's like it's a crazy thing, but you could feel it. Moshe When Moshe died, Yeshua was crying. And he had tremendous pain. And he just was saying, Avi, Avi, my, my father, my father, Rebbe, Rebbe, my, my Rebbe. Like the world was like, it was a new tekufa, it was a new time period. And all of a sudden, Yeshua finds himself, as it says in the Postal, Hashem says to him, you know, and now, now, the Aton, now, it's time to get up. You gotta go and move the Jewish people. It's your turn now. It's a strange thing. You look at all these great people from the past, but that wasn't it, the tikkufa is over, and we have a different tikkufa now. And you go throughout history. Just to, again, I'm not going to make believe that I know more history than Mr. Lorch over here. I'm not going to make believe because I'm not a fool. However, however, it wasn't when you have a period of time known as the Rishonim, the early the first, and the Achronim, or there was a period prior to that, let's say, the uh, the Savaroyim or whatever. It wasn't that there was some historian that woke up one day and said, you know what, let's make a line in the sand in 1531. I'm just picking up that day. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. It was usually marked by a Sefer which came, which defined a difference in time period. But more than that, it was so clear there was such a, 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 a difference, like a Grand Canyon between one time period and another time period, that there was nothing to talk about. Nothing to talk about. That's where we are today. That's where we are. Wait, anybody who's, who met a person, like Ramosha Feinstein said, yeah, I'd be a fool to disagree with Ramosha Feinstein. It wasn't a matter of like you're not so you like you you you're not so religious, so you don't know if you hold like. Are you kidding me? Are you like there's nothing to talk about? But Moshe, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden, Yeshua finds himself in that position. It's a new world. The Jewish nation finds themselves in a position like that. They forgot three thousand, if I'm not mistaken, three thousand halachas. How they forget three thousand halachas? How does that work? I know how it works. You, you, you lose your mind. You, you know, I saw something. See, now, you have to, you got to understand that I'm not a skeptic, and 
by nature, I'm not really a skeptic. I'm quite, I am a person that questions, but I'm not a skeptic. When the Lubavitcher Rebbe died, they did something which was very strange. But if you understand what was going on over there, then it wasn't so crazy. I remember the day he died, you went into his office, and he was buried in his desk. By the way, very common. It wasn't uh, his table. Yeah, they. this was not an unusual death. That wasn't unusual. In times of past, people would, it was not an uncommon thing. Am I correct about that? That people would take their table that they used either for learning or for and they would make the casket out of that wood itself. Because this way, what you're doing is you're taking the object which was used for a mitzvah all your, li- all your life, and you're now using that to be buried in. Now, that itself was not such a strange thing. I mean, Jewish law says it has to be wood. We go back historically like, to the time of the Amorayim, I believe, where the Takana was to make it out of simple pine wood. But uh, this was not an unusual thing. Okay. But what they did, what was unusual, was he was on the floor covered with his his shrouds and his talus, but he was on the floor. And I couldn't understand that because I I never seen that before. I I just never saw that before. I'm not saying that that, and in my mind, it was very simple. The Pasuk says over here, by Hiachri Mos Moshe, after Moshe dies, this is the first line in in Navi, by Yom Hashem Yeshua Ben Nun, yeah? Moshe Avdi Meis. He's dead. Got to come to terms with that. No, it's, it's a big thing. It's not easy. You have to come to terms. The man is not alive anymore. We don't believe in a deity of a human being. And we also understand that now it's time. The next word is, The Abarbanel, who's a very interesting person, the Abarbanel. If you want to learn the history of a person who's absolutely fascinating, Sure, learn about Don Isaac Barbanel. Here he was, just to go off a drop, I'm sorry, because I can't keep straight anyway. Uh, Barbanel was the one who made the shidduch between Isabella and Ferdinand in, uh, between Aragon and Castile, I think. He was the one who made that wonderful shidduch. I mean, he didn't mean bad, but he made the <laughs> shidduch. He was, if I'm not mistaken, the, the treasurer for King Ferdinand, and he was the leading, at least one of the leading Jewish authorities. He led the Jews in 1492 when they were given the choice of leaving Spain or making believe they weren't Jewish or dying at the stake. He led the Jews to Portugal, if I'm not mistaken, and in Portugal he became the treasurer of Portugal. And from there, because Portugal didn't stay uh, so friendly to Jews for very long, I think it was four or five years or six years, a very short period of time. So from there, I believe he went to the Netherlands. And in the, in, I, I think it was the Netherlands, but he became treasurer again over there. And he writes that this Pasuk, this Pasuk, I think it was Netherlands, but it doesn't matter, another place. So he writes that Hashem, by saying, you should get up 
and cross over the Yardain is giving him a message. And it's a very interesting message. The Gemara actually says, Ein <clears throat> Malchus, and this is something that we could see sometimes with our eyes when we watch the news. It says in the Gemara, Ein Malchus, Nogas Bechavrata, a one a kingdom, one, ru- one ruler, is not able to step into the bounds of another of another ruler, Kamale Nema, even the amount of like a the, like the breath of a hair, meaning that there was a specific amount of time that Trump was going to be president. That's what it was, whatever. And once that's over, or forget about that because maybe you want to say that there's rules. But when it comes to when it comes to any issue of sovereignty or leadership, when the time is over, it is over. Shekol ham, that's, that's the way it goes. When it was time for Moshe to die, when it was time for Yehoshua to take over, then it's over. And that's what we see over here. Because we have a problem. I mean, I can't say we. I should say I have a problem. Who are we? I, I'm 64 years old. I was convinced by the time I'd be, like, I can't imagine, 64. I figured I'd know Shas by then. I, I, I was sure. <laughs> Shas, forget about that. I, I was convinced, you know, because when I was 21, 22, I was pretty good. So at 21, 22, I figured if this keeps up at this rate, I mean, I'll probably know something. <laughs> And yet, the reality is it doesn't work that way. And you get older and the beard starts getting a little white. You don't know because you don't have a white beard. But if it starts getting a little white, you know, and, and then you're looking around and you're saying, yeah, you, you know, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And then there's a Rashi over here. I'm going to read the Rashi. The Rashi is really a little bit, it, it depends how you look at it. It's, in my mind, it's, it's, it's a matter, but you understand what I'm feeling when I'm learning this, learning Yoshua. I'm feeling, in a, in a bizarre way, a little bit like Yoshua, because he, he's going through the Kufa change. He was with Moshe. He was, I don't want to say he was nothing, but when Moshe was Moshe, they weren't looking, and they weren't saying, oh, let's go ask Yoshua. That, that wasn't what was going on. As a matter of fact, I'm going to just skip over to something else over here, and then we'll, we'll go back over here. What was it that gave Yoshua the schus? I mean, there were a lot of things, obviously, but there's a very famous medrash, and the medrash says, Hoya He used to fix up the chairs. He used to clean up the yeshiva. And he would literally put the chairs in order in Moshe Rabbeinu's base medrash. I don't know what kind of base medrash they had, but whatever it was, he was the person that when everybody else went home or everybody else went to learn, he was making sure that the tables were cleaned and the books put away. And he specifically took care of Moshe's chair. And he would sit Moshe down. And he would sit next to Moshe, like a, a servant next to his master. And it was because of this that Yeshua merited to the crown of Torah. 
Chazal, as it says in the Gemara, Godel Shimusha, that the that the that that being mishamish, being um, what's in English, mishamish, being um, serving. serving a tzaddik is yosem milimuda is greater than learning from that person. This week there was a rub from Eretz Yisrael who told me a pshat of what does that mean. It was very interesting. I'm not saying that this is the total pshat, but just uh, an interesting thought. I thought. He, he quoted certain, a certain Rav that he had in Panovich, who spent hours and hours refining his shear. And then he gave over the shear. And he said to me, that's the shot of Libuta. The Rav sits down, sits for an hour, two, three, four, five hours, develops whatever he wants to give over. But you're not seeing the whole person. You're not seeing the holistic person. You're seeing a very refined, developed part of his mind and his heart. But you're not seeing the whole picture. But when you're sitting with the person, who's the Gemara's example is when you're washing the hands of an individual. You're sitting there with the totality of that individual. You're with that person. So I'm going to tell you a story that I once heard, that I learned. I learned this from the Boston Rabbi. I said this story. You heard this story already. Maybe you did. I know you did too, but you might not remember it. All right. So even though I'm not a, an intellectual snob anymore, but I used to be. I was. I grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, as I said. And all my friends went to Yale, and that's what I, I expected to go to Ivy League colleges. And, you know, that's, in my mind, I couldn't understand why the yeshivas weren't like Yale. I couldn't understand why the, you know, Bate Midrashim didn't have that, that. I was wrong, but that, I felt like, like, where's our elitism, you know? All right, whatever. We'll forget about that. So I was very close to the bust in the Rebbe. From Bar Park, I was very close. I used to go there for every Shabbos almost. I was been biased by him. He came to New Haven, and he was an expert in mikvos. And my parents became friendly with him, and we used to go there for Shabbos. And I was very, very close to him. I didn't know that my in-laws also were close to him, and he was Masada Kedushin for my in-laws. Didn't know that. I found out that when he was Masada Kedushin for me. So, all right. So I'm single at the time, and I would go there for Shabbos. But after a little while, I was in Tarvadas learning by Rafam at the time, and after a little bit of time, I was no longer going to him for Shabbos, you know, for the, for the davening. I would show up after davening and eat by him, but I stopped going to shul. So one day, he asked me, he said, Yehida, that's how he used to pronounce my name, Yehida, I don't see you in the show. So I said to him with my, you know, my religious, I was at the time I was like very from, I, I said to him, I don't find the people around the show to be stimulating. And therefore, you know, it's not for me. I want to be in yeshiva where I find people to be more stimulating. That's what I told him. Okay. He didn't say much. He just looked at me. He didn't say anything. So in Taravadas, in the days, now this is something for the uh, younger people, they won't know what we're talking about. There was a thing called a payphone. <laughs> a payphone was a box. 
like a coffin, actually, same size, probably. Uh, it, it was a it was a box, and it had this metallic instrument. In a phone booth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like Superman came out of it. Yeah. You mean a phone booth? Well, this was a payphone without the phone booth, but you got the whole idea. No, but you got the idea. Yeah. Okay. So there was this. You got the idea. So they had a number of phones down in Tarbidas. And I get a message from one of the bathroom that there's a phone call for me. Okay. So I go downstairs, and on the phone, I hear the voice of the bus and the rabbi. And he says, Yehida, can you drive me tomorrow someplace? So I said, sure. I said, there wasn't, it was uncommon, but it wasn't, it was out of the regular, but it wasn't like crazy. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a crazy thing. You know, I had driven him. He used to go, he had a summer home on the Cape, so I had driven him to the Cape. I, to me, it wasn't such a crazy thing that I get this call. So, you know, we set up a time. It was about, and I remember it was in the late morning, so say like 11 o'clock in the morning. So I pick him up in Borough Park, and he gives me an address. I remember it was in, um, it was in Brooklyn Heights, and I drive him there. He gets out, he asks me to come in with him. It's a little unusual, but okay. Because usually he didn't do that, but okay. I go in with him. And there's this old lady there, and he's sitting there, he starts talking to her about what I was, as far as I was concerned, it was total dribble. It was nothing. It was just nothing. Okay, whatever. Talking to her. Then we go back in the car, and he gives me another address, and this time it's probably an old man. And this, we spend the whole day, the whole day long. I'm going from one place to another place to another place. Now, the Muslim Rebbe was in Makubal. He was on the, the Moetzi Gedolia Torah, which is like, it's not, a, it's like a real, like it's a, he was a big Talmud Chacham. And he's going, and he's like, going, I'm just sitting, and I see. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, he said, he said, he did. Do you understand? And I said, I understand. So that changed my life and my mind, that incident about people and how you deal with people and what's really valuable. That's Gadol Shimusha, Yosef Milimuda, because you could hear all the lectures you want, but when you see a little, you know, Mikubo who writes Kameas, I know he wrote a Kamea because he wrote one for my grandmother, and, I mean, different people have different opinions about Kameas, but when she lost the Kamea, it wasn't good. She died a little after that. I'm not connecting the two. I'm not doing that. But I'm just saying, he was in Makubo, and he's spending his time doing whatever he was doing. So now, so, you know, that's who, that's who Yoshua was. But we all have this issue of who are we? And especially after World War II, and after, like, we look around and you read these stories. Rufutnit didn't like all the art scroll books, by the way. He did not like them because the art scroll books make it look like everybody is this super tzaddik. And it didn't, they, they, they were tzaddikim afterwards, but it's, um, you don't wake, you're not born in the Olympics. This doesn't work that way. Michael Jordan worked thousands, ten thousands of hours to be Michael Jordan. 
you know, a world-class surgeon doesn't become a world-class surgeon overnight, right? Takes, maybe, doesn't, doesn't happen. You got to work. That's also probably true. <laughs> so listen to this. It's crazy. This one line over here says Moshe Avdi Mace. So Rashi says, you know what? The Ilu Hoyokayam, you know what? If he would be here, Boha Yisi Hashem said, Rashi says that Hashem said, you know what? If he would be around, you're right. But you know what? He's not here anymore. It's a new time. There's a Gemara. There's a Gemara. You see, here's the thing. We could go on and on, but I want to go through a few examples in my mind about this. I'm going to do three more examples on this. There's a, a story in the Gemara Tainus. Most people know the first part of the story. The second part of the story, they know it, but we'll just do it quickly. There was a person calling Amagel. Konya Ma'agel was this uh, wonder worker, miracle worker. Konya Ma'agel lived in the northern Galilee. Circle maker. Circle maker. And when it didn't rain, he made a circle, refused to walk out of the circle until it rained. Okay. There's a second story. The second story about Honey, it goes that, and you can look this up, it's in Tainus, I think it's on... Have Zion or something around there. Honey, he said he was always troubled, bothered by a pasuk. It says, "Shiramalos, Yeshua Hashem Meshivas Tzion," which means that uh, this is a, a song of elevation. That there's going to be a time when God redeems the Jewish people. Hayinu kechomi, it'll be like a dream, like a dream. So he said to himself, that, you know, the period of time between the first temple and the second temple was 70 years. So if that's the reference, that the period of time between the first and second temple will be like a dream. So he said, do people really sleep for 70 years? So it was, I don't want to say he questioned it, although the Gemara seems to imply that. But it was certainly a question about, like he, he liked, he, he found it baffling people really sleep for 70 years so the story the Gemara says that he literally fell asleep for 70 years and I'm not going to get into the detail too much because in my mind we have like another 15 minutes and I don't want to get detailed into this but he wakes up 70 years later and he looks at the world and it's like a different world the person who was planting a tree, not only was he not alive, but it was only his great-grandchildren who were alive, again, if I'm not mistaken. And he goes in to his house, and he tells the people he's Honey. And uh, people, it's like a guy comes in here and says that I am George Washington. They thought he was crazy because Tony had gone missing 70 years earlier, according to Josephus. Either you, if you want to go through the historical way, he, he had gone missing, or we would say, or he got killed, but in their mind, he, was, he wasn't there. 70 years later, guy comes over, let's an example, what's 70 years ago? 
So 70 years ago was the Holocaust, right? Uh, approximately. So somebody comes in and says that he is uh, General Eisenhower, right? What are you going to say? They ain't, no, you're not. You're crazy. So, so he looks around. Nobody in the family knows who he is. So he goes to the base medrash. And he hears a discussion in the, in the base medrash. And in the base medrash, the discussion is about whatever topic. And then somebody says, well, we remember that Honey said such and such a thing. Like, you know, when he was alive. Because that would be the equivalent of somebody saying something about the Chavetz Chaim. That's a better example. Imagine the Chavetz Chaim. Some Chavetz Chaim. guy comes in here, an older man says, Oh, by the way, I'm the Chavetz Chaim. I'm, uh, you'd say, no, you're not. You'd put him away. Or would you say, Nebuch. Nebuch, he has Alzheimer's. You know, that's what you'd think. So he starts saying, I'm Choni. And they look at him like he's, you know, he's not there. And then he got very depressed, and he said a famous line, O Chabrusa, O Misusa, which means either give me friendship or let me die. Because a world where I know nobody and a world where I'm not connected. See, part of the story of Tekufos is connections. Would we be able to connect today? Maybe we would be able to connect to certain Satikim, because they're really great tzaddikim. But it's a different world. It's a different world. And that's something that we have to come to terms with. That we ourselves are the leaders and we ourselves are the educators. And we ourselves are today's religious Jewish person, even though we're speaking in, in, in English, in the vernacular of English, that 400 years ago nobody spoke. Nobody would understand what we're talking about. The way we dress is not the way that people did dress. I mean, you know, it's different. The world goes on. And Torah goes on. And Hashem tells Yoshua this. It's time. you got to go into, now it's time to go into Israel. It's a different Tekupa. Now, he was afraid. It says over here that he was afraid of three things. He was afraid, the big, that's why it says Chazach Be'amatz three times which means be strong and powerful three times. Because there were three things that he had to deal with. And these are big issues. Number one is division of the land. You know, you want to go and tell one Shevet, oh, by the way, um, you're going to be uh, in, the, uh, in the desert. I have a nice piece of land in the Negev for you. Very pretty. It's very quiet. Not that many wild animals. It's quiet. And you're going to go to another person and say, and by the way, you have beachfront property. Shore, what's called shorefront property? You think that that's an easy job? It's not an easy <laughs> job. Taking all the Jews in Israel and dividing the Shvatim into their territories and with no complaints. You think they didn't have complaints? How many Jews are in real estate? A lot of Jews. You think that they didn't know the different quality of the land? Of course they did. The Gemara talks about the differences that one that different parts people were happier with, you know, some Shvatim were happier with some stuff than other stuff. The second thing he had to deal with was that he had to enforce the Torah commandments. That's a big thing. Learning Torah and and what was there were three things. There was the division of the land, the commandments, 
And then the last is really like no pleasure, and that's the conquest. Remember, what we think today of warfare, which is bloody and terrible, we're dealing with missiles or guns. Hand-to-hand combat is a very, very bloody, difficult, you know, it's a, it's bad. And the Jews, what were they doing? They were, before this, they were in the desert, and now they're going in, and they have to chop people's heads off. I mean, that's what they were doing. Very hard. So Yeshua had a big, uh, it was a big test that he had to go, go through. But I just want to, the last story I want to tell you in reference to the difference of generations, because this, I think, is just very poignant story. I heard this from Rafam, and I, I also, I saw it inside, so that's worth it also. And maybe from Pesach Kron, maybe. So if you read the Chavetz Chaim Malatora, you'll see that there are some things there where the Chavetz Chaim wrote the value of separating and keeping away from non-religious Jews because of the influence that he was worried about. Okay? Keep that thought. He also, there's a, a compilation of, of all the Chavetz Chaim's writings called Kol Kisri Chavetz Chaim, all the writings of the Chavetz Chaim. And in it, you have a section called Choma Sadas, which means the walls of religion. And in it, he writes the obligation of doing kiruv. It's a, it's a, it's a treatise. It's like, I don't know, hundred pages or so, all about the obligation of kiruv. So on one side, he's writing about how you got to keep away, and on the other side, he's got this whole sefer about the obligation of doing kiruv. So I asked Ravelsky, what's the shot? And he told me that when the Chavetz Chaim was younger, he wrote the one which said keep away because he felt that the war they. The dangers of secular society was very powerful. But when he got older, he saw the world changing, the tides of the world changing, and felt that it was appropriate to go and everybody should be involved in some level of Kirov. Okay? It's a beautiful safer. So, in, I, I think it was 1909. I might be off a couple years. But I think it was 1909, there was the Knesset Hagadola, the big gathering of all the Jewish leaders. Okay, and at this event, the Chavetz Chaim got up and he spoke about the importance of doing kiruv. And when he got off the stage or whatever the you know podium, he heard people saying, the Chavetz Chaim is talking about people like himself, but not talking about people like us. Because there's a famous line in the, which is kshot ba'atzmacha, that first you got to take care of yourself, save yourself, and then you can save others. So the Chavetz Chaim was saying, yeah, sure, if anybody's like the Chavetz Chaim, he can do Kira, but nobody else, not for us. So Chavetz Chaim heard this, and he was, he was not happy with that. And the Chavetz Chaim said that he would like to speak, you know, he'd like to get up and speak again. And he got up, and he gave an example. He said that there was a, uh, there was a king who had a village, and he would, the king would go from, you know, throughout his land to visit the villages, and you know, see how things were doing, and he came to some little town, some village, and the um, the people, he asked for water to drink, and the people, he was given murky water, dirty water, and the king was very taken aback, and he said, whenever there's water that's needed for the municipality or anything to do with the government, 
It can only be spring water. There was a fire, and the village burnt down. So the king went to see the damages, see you know what was going on. He goes there and he sees it was strange, but the ground was dry. Usually after a fire, the ground would be muddy because of all the water that was used to try to put out the fire. The ground was dry. So he asked, and they, they, the head of the, I guess the mayor, said to the king, you told us that whenever we use water, I mean, for the king, for the kingdom, for anything, it has to be pure spring water. And we didn't have any. So the king said, fools, when there's a fire, you use any water. Of course, if you have spring water, it's going to be filled with less dirt, so it might do a better job. But you do whatever you can to put out the fire. And therefore, the Chavis Chaim said that we're in the middle of a fire. This is in the 1910, that time period. He said, there's a fire burning. You use any water that you can. And that's the Tekufa that we're in. We are going on and forward. Okay, so we it's 940. Can we have five more minutes? Five more minutes. Okay. So, I'm just going to read to you one. I think that this is a very... I, I just want to end with this thought. It's going to take a few minutes, but I, I just think that this is something that we all have to know about. It says like this. I'll read you the Pasuk. It says over here, Hashem says you should be very strong. You should not add to the right or to the left of the Torah. And if you do that, then you'll be successful with everything you do. What does that mean, right or left? See, by nature, there are different types of people. And by this time in our lives, we've met both sides. There are people that by nature, they are strict. If you ask them, if they, they're not satisfied with hearing that something is mutter, there's nothing to talk about. They're not comfortable with a heter. I know people like that. If you come to them and you say that it's more, don't worry about it. It's like, I, they need a homer. I don't understand the rationale. I really don't, because that's not where I'm coming from as a person. Again, I'm talking about legitimate, you know? And then there are people, and therefore that legitimacy eventually turns into a weakness that you start becoming liberal and more liberal and more liberal until your head for your brains fall out of your head but that, but that's 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 what happens on one side and then there's the opposite side i'm sorry the, i just yeah. i connected them both there are those people who are so it's just liberal 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 until everything falls apart and then you have the opposite side those people who are machmer machmer mach, until they make themselves that the judaism becomes bitter it just becomes so bitter you can't walk you can't move you can't do anything i once had a guy and this is a good question, but, but, I hey, he was by somebody's house. I set him up for Shabbos. See, this is where I, I, I get into trouble for taping. What am I going to do? He didn't flush the toilet at all. Because he figured that me and not allowed to Dalit Amos, Rishusa Rabbin. Now, he's not crazy, but he's crazy. You know what I mean? All right, we'll do that some other time. You understand. This is what I wanted to go. The next post says... It says over here. It says over here. Lo yamu sefer Torah hazemi picha. That the Torah, this Torah, should never leave your mouth. Stop, leave, stopping in your mouth. 
And you should study the Torah. It tells us that the Torah should never leave your mouth. It should always be within your mouth. Uh, should we stop here? Should we stop? It's a long thought. Okay. Um,